drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello, and welcome to Drive-by Cinema episode 46. 46. Yeah. With me is my co-host... Unfortunately for Richard. The Scarecrow. The Scarecrow. <laughs> what are you uh, hoping to get from the wizard? Well, uh... I don't know. I, 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 it's a brain, isn't it? It's a, hey, no, wait. <laughs> I think it's some sort of dissociative personality disorder that I may have. I, I don't know. I, I imagine I'm a lion needing a heart, but, I, I, well, I, I think you're right. I need a brain. How did you know that? I just had a wild guess. I'll because stab in the dark. you're freaking Dorothy. Thanks, Dorothy. <laughs> a friend of Dorothy, as you are. I am Rick. Mm, yes, you're this Rick. This is... Paul. Unfortunately for Richard, I am Paul. Yes. So no, I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't tell you who you are. Although you told me I was Scarecrow. Who do you think you would be in the Wizard of Oz, Richard? Apart from the Wizard, I'm the Tin Man. Aren't I? I'm playing really? the Tin Man. You need some WD forty. You're always telling me how I have no emotion and I need. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> Perhaps I do implicitly, for which I'm very sorry. Now we have assume a group feedback. hug is occurring at this moment. <laughs> we have a listener feedback. Oh, God. Oh, oh, yes. All right. Okay. No, we have some good listener feedback. I'd like is it to from one of our esteemed regular communicators? Well, I think most of our feedback comes from our regular communicators. Oh, I'd like to, first of all, thank Adam. Thank you, Adam. I think suggested let the right one in. He did, indeed. Yes, thank you, Adam, for that suggestion. Uh, he was also quite complimentary about the episode, as was Alistair. Hi, Alistair, Alistair, though... He had some issues with the episode before that about the Babadook. The Babadook, yeah. Uh And he submitted a lengthy essay. Did it come with full stops? It was fully punctuated, Paul. Was it? Go go so far as to say every every, uh, kind of punctuation it required was represented. (laughs) It's available on our Discord server, which for those of you who are unaware, is in the links that the show description has on it which I'm sure people who know about podcasts can find everyone is welcome to the discord server where you can discuss films and suggest new ones please come along join the party so uh, could you point about the Babadook yeah go on could is that what you're gonna ask I was gonna say can you briefly surmise what Alistair was saying in his in his uh extensive and uh and wide-ranging essay well we were wondering where the pop-up book that was the focus of the kind of haunting. That's right, yeah. We were wondering where that where came, it came from. from. Alistair's theory is. is that the mother, whose name I can't currently remember, it was mentioned by her sister that she had been, before she started doing care work, she had been a children's author. Yes. And therefore, Alistair's contention was that the book had come from the mother herself. And indeed, that suggests... The whole that the whole film is really about her being the monster, and it's not really a horror movie as we understand them. It's a, it's a psychological horror, isn't it? Mm. I mean, and that's really it's kind of what I was suggesting. I said it broke that whole idea at the point it started flinging the boy up the stairs, you know, sort of telekinetically. I suppose we could allow a sort of artistic license there, and maybe she was imagining that, and really she was dragging him up the stairs, I don't know, but... Yeah. yeah. I mean, I understand his point. It's a very, he's made it a, a very cogent 
representation for this idea that perhaps we weren't really that me and you weren't necessarily sympathizing enough with the lead character in that we were treating it like a horror movie yeah and as such we saw her as a lead in a horror movie so so her emotions and and the way you know the trauma that she endured we, we saw as you know horror movie a horror movie fest a bucket of horror rather than if she was actually feeling these things were happening, how real and traumatic would that be? Well, it would be awfully traumatic, yeah. And so if you, if we had just tuned in and zoned into the fact that this might seem real to her and, but yet wasn't, then we would have got taken different cues from the movie. Well, we said, didn't we, about that bit with the cockroaches behind the fridge that, that yeah. seemed to imply she was imagining it. Indeed, yeah, because of course it all disappears. Does this make you appreciate the film more, or does it not really change your? Opinion? Well, I, I had a big long think about this over a steaming cup of hot tea. I, I, I kind of still don't. I mean, I don't really accept Alice's idea that that it's it it, it shows that this is a psychological horror stroke thriller rather than a horror movie. But if it did, of course, it would change the whole complexion of the movie. I feel that I can't mark it up or anything or improve my opinion because I I wasn't convinced by it during the film. I'm more convinced by it now, Alice has explained, mm-hmm. but at the time I didn't get it. It it didn't it didn't carry that all the way to the end, so I don't I think it's like too it. weak a hint to say, you know, the book disappears therefore and she's an author, therefore she can be the only person that makes it appear at the door. I mean mm. you know. Yeah. Maybe the book didn't exist. Maybe she just read it out to him. For me, I'm just happier to see it as a supernatural horror movie where the malevolent being knows she's a children's author and knows the kid wants to read a book and so makes the book reappear. You know, I think he's right, though. It's a strange choice to highlight in a movie. Yes, it is. I mean, she could have been anything. She could have been a normal author or, you know, a painter or something. But do you think it's clearly signposted in the movie? No, not clearly enough for me. But so therefore, maybe... it's, it, it, it stands as an Easter egg of illumination, yeah? Yes. Maybe. So the kind of Easter egg that you open up and, oh, holy images appear <laughs> from it kind of thing. Finally, illuminated the meaning of everything. Well, maybe you're supposed to watch it more than once, but the thing is, I wouldn't want to watch it more than once. No, no. It's just a bit dull, isn't it? A bit dreary. Well, The colour scheme, the depressive quality of the house that she lives in, which, as Alistair says, is a reflection of the fact she's never got over the morning. You know, she's still in mourning, but still, it's kind of dull. I, I think Alistair's way of seeing it is, is, is perfectly... Uh, valid. Perfectly valid. I mean, I, for me, you know, I, I would go 40 to that way, but I'd say still 60, that it's, it's just a standard schlock supernatural horror. I'd agree that I couldn't watch it again for those reasons that you stated, but also the fact that for no, not the actor's problem, but the young boy is really annoying. And also maybe the actor's problem because she's an adult. The the lead mother is so really annoying also, unfortunately. That's true. We did say that. Now, I also have another piece of listener feedback. Uh, This is from probably one of the most intelligent and charming listeners God. Wow. Oh, not God. Actually, it was for me. Oh, okay. Oh, God. Hi. (laughs) This is 
to do with let the right one in. Welcome and to our I sect. woke up. I woke woke up one morning, sort of bolt upright, and realised two or three important things about the film that we had completely missed. Sorry, I was I was babbling meaningless. Say the movie again. Let the right one let in. Let the right one in. The Which Swedish is a, a damn fine movie. movie. Yes, very good. But we missed things which I think really do make this film better. The Do they imply is, that it's not actually a real vampire? No. Oh, good. Quite the opposite. Phew. The first is, you know, early on in the movie, Oscar gives Ellie a Rubik's Cube. Yeah. And she hands it back later, completed. Yeah. And it seemed oddly significant. Maybe it was a marker of the 1980s. But we did comment about it. And it occurred to me why that scene is in there. Bearing in mind that they really do love to pull all the vampire tropes. Uh-huh. Well, I don't know whether you're aware of the the legend, the famous mythology around vampires. That they and this this term is used incorrectly, of course, these days. But they're said to be a bit o- OCD, aren't they? Are they? Uh, in contemporary times, I suppose they would have used a different terminology. And this isn't really OCD, is it? But it used to be said that if you wanted to escape a vampire, you could throw a handful of rice on the ground, say, or grain, and the vampire would have to stop and count it because they're compulsive about that stuff. Or Is that why different... the vampire in Sesame Street counts to 12? I think it might be, yeah. Whoa! Yeah. A, whole if, cultural, if you... a whole cultural understanding of vampires I, I've been missing for my whole <laughs> life. If you throw two different coloured beads on the, well, two, you know, a bunch of two different coloured beads on the ground, you have to sort it out. Whoa! The the Rubik's cube is Ellie expressing that compulsion. He gives her this puzzle. She has to solve it. She has to write it into the solid colours. Wow, which is clever and, and 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 less destructive testing than than a stake in the heart. The second thing that I noticed. This is. I think in some rewilding way, vampires. How to rewild vampires? Test that they are vampires and, and and let them free without dying. Yeah, it's a good <laughs> idea, isn't it? The Rubik's cube. We discussed our mild confusion. We were wondering about the relationship between Hakan and Ellie. Yeah, at the start of the movie, particularly, you know, why is this? Guy... I didn't get father daughter vibes. To be honest with you, no, that's because that's not what he is. Ah. And this is what I realised to my kind of horror, actually. Hakan has been with her probably since he was about 12, since he was about Oscar's age. Oh, he's the previous incarnation of Oscar. He's her thrall. He's been with her his entire life. Wow. Killing people, feeding her, making sure she's safe, doing adulting, because she's she's a child vampire, so she can't do those things. He has to rent the accommodation and, you know, do that stuff. And now Oscar is... Yeah, he's replacing Hakan, isn't he? So vampires grow very slowly. They're like Yodas. They don't age at all. They're immortal and they don't age. They are always the age that uh, at which they turn. They became a vampire. Well, more lore of which I was not aware, Richard. Well, I mean, it's in um, Interview with a Vampire, isn't it? Where there's that little girl who's really, you know, hundreds of years old. It makes the whole film a lot more horrific. What we, or certainly I was kind of seeing as like an two outsiders getting together like a love story. Way, way darker because you realise Oscar's bewitched, he's enchanted. 
Yeah, I mean, he may feel that he loves Ellie, but the fact of the matter is, she's just really manipulated him to be her thrall for the rest of his life. And that's what Hakan was. I mean, he gave himself willingly for her at the end, sacrificed himself, and was willing to, you know, burn his own face off. But that's surely a kind of an healthy relationship to be in. Well, yeah, I mean, I think they need to sit down and talk about this, if they can do <laughs> But it also made me think about the title of the movie, Let the Right One In. Before I saw this film, I was imagining that might play out with some kind of siege situation, you know, where people are barricading themselves in. Yeah. They didn't know who was the vampire. But that doesn't happen at all in the movie. What does it mean then? I briefly considered this. What could it mean? I I thought it was in relation to young sweethearts dating. Choose your first date carefully. No, I think it is. Exactly. Partly, it may be to do with her. She has got to figure out who she can trust to be her lifetime thrall to look after her. Because, you know, obviously she's got to have someone who can she can trust not to shop her to the vampire hunters or whatever. But it's also a message to him, isn't it? Let the right one in, because otherwise you could end up being the servant of a vamp- vampiress for the rest of your life. Whoa. In any event... A whole lot more chilling than it first appears, that film. And for that reason, I would score it up from where it was, just for that realisation. So, yeah, thank you, Alistair and uh, Adam, for writing in. Particularly Alistair for his full stops and for his uh, prodigious command of the English language. That was me, by the way. Those corrections were all me, from me. I see. I hope you got that. Yeah, I did. Thank you. Oh, and also Richard, yeah, for his perceptive and uh, penetrating analysis of a vampire movie. Paul, it's time for the music, which is going to introduce this week's film. Expect a barrage to hit your ears any second now. After that terrifying wall of sound, it is time to introduce this week's movie, which I believe has a connection to the fabulous Wizard of Oz from 1939. Is that not right, Richard? Well, I'd love to speak to you about that connection because I don't get it very much. Yellow Brick Road is the name of the movie, which to me is where the connection ends, begins and ends. Did you spot any other parallels or links? I I only spotted some some, uh, jocular references in the dialogue to The Wizard of Oz on several occasions, all of which, you know, are, are signposted on the Amazon kind of cast and credits sidebar, so... Hold on, you, you spotted jocular references in this movie. <laughs> yeah, No Place Like Home. Okay. Click my heels and go. Uh, blah, 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 blah. This is about three or four, but that's about it. Bloody hilarious. They hadn't worked very hard to put the Wizard of Oz references <laughs> in. I think there were about four in total, and those are two of them, but, yeah. The Wizard of Oz is a story about a young woman who... A tornado flings her, apparently, into a fantasy world where she meets these characters. They go and see the Wizard of Oz, blah, 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 and they follow the yellow brick road. <laughs> and I think there's some sense in which she's really having a dream, isn't it? Uh, I can't remember. So they, oh, which she definitely is having a dream, yeah. yeah. This movie is more like the Pied Piper of Hamlin or something, isn't it? it the story goes that this entire town, I think it's called Friar, in 1940... The entire town walks up the mountainside. Yes, they do. And they don't come back. Or they don't come some back. Of them come None back. of them. Well, some of them. Most of them. Don't somebody come back. comes back because someone reports 
there's eyewitness reports, but most of them don't come back. A lot of them disappear. Some people die. But they head up there on you know on the on the virtual eve, you know the month eve. I don't know what you call the month eve or the season eve of the first the second world war. Is that not right? Well, 1940, as far as the US is oh. concerned, second world war hasn't happened yet. It's oh, for, 41 for the US, yeah, or maybe 42. 42, 42, yeah. isn't it? When Pearl Harbor happened. on the year eve or the pre-year eve of the second world war. Darkness is obviously in the air. They all head up there after repeatedly watching The Wizard of Oz in the local picture house. Yeah, the Rialto. The Rialto. Cinema. So it's on repeat, and the whole town turns up every night to try and watch it in the in the picture house. And then one day they stop watching it and head off as a cabal or as a cult uh, up into them hills, and only a few come back down again. Well, it's got nothing to do with The Wizard of Oz, does it? Well, can I just start with that? I mean, so we've got Second World War happening and people watching... Elsewhere, yeah. Elsewhere, but they do mention that, don't they, I think? Like, the war was... They're saying... Well, I mean, we'll get to what happens in the movie, but the people from the present say, well, the Second World War was about to happen and they were watching The Wizard of Oz late at night, every night in the room. To take their minds thing. off it. Oh, to take their minds off it. So why connect it in any other way to, to, to the Wizard of Oz? I don't know, apart from the fact they go somewhere that potentially they want, they want to get back from. Because, the, I mean, the Wizard of Oz is famously about a return to the gold standard and an argument for an agricultural party in American politics, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. <laughs> That's why it's a yellow brick road. It's the gold road. They have to follow the gold standard to, to find enlightenment. Okay. Wow, I didn't know that. And yet when they get there, they just see a man twiddling fiduciary buttons. The wizard. That's typically seen as one rather obvious subtext. But I think, of course, there's there's ideas of personal transformation and and those kind of things hovering around like like wicked or nice witches uh, in the air, isn't there? Can I just say, before we begin, I'm going to give this movie, before I explain what I thought of the movie entirely, I've got to give this movie a thumbs up for the use of cheap location. Uh, they did nothing but shoot this movie in you know, the scrubs behind some city. Well, I think I'm sure I read that this was quite remote where they shot it. Oh, uh, so I think they did it didn't go need a to be a, on a mission. I see. The other thing was, you know, uh, they play, they play a lot of weird sounds coming, as we'll find out why later. You know, coming around and uh, from the hills echoing and being weird and it kind of did get you know they communicated the fact that things were weird and trippy so two thumbs up there and maybe the only two thumbs up that i can afford this movie this movie wants to be the blair witch project so Ah. much doesn't it i mean it's low budget sure not as low budget as the blair witch project but it centers around this crew of people who are going to be filming their uh expedition but they do make a bit of a departure from the Blair Witch Project model, where there was only three characters, really, for the whole thing. Because this has about 1,800 people, I think, on the mission, who they all introduce <laughs> in a diner at the beginning. And I, you know, I'd give it up by number four. <laughs> who were all those people? I, I did write some of the names down, but gave up. <laughs> yeah. I think we've said this before, you know, you do need, a, if you're going to have lots of characters who look similar, you know, the men are all chiseled Jordan and fairly handsome with a little bit of stubble and the girls look like somebody called Jennifer, you know, you need a montage introducing them, maybe with their names popping up. I know it's not rea- reality reality cinema, you know, but we need some sort of montage done sensitively if you need to be sensitive about it. I think we watched a movie uh, about Paris professional dancers that went crazy on acid. 
I've forgotten the name. Climax. I'm sorry. Climax. They did it really well. You know, the montage of int- introducing characters was done with the characters introducing themselves, as it were, to a casting agent. You know, makes perfect sense. Doesn't really stand out from the movie as being a montage to introduce the characters for the for the viewer. It seems almost like it's part of the movie. And, and they patently didn't do this here because, as you say, they were just a slew of characters all shot in semi-darkness anyway once we get it up there that you couldn't really distinguish. There was like a psychiatrist. Yes. Testing their sanity. (laughs) Now, how did he know they were going to go crazy? Oh, because they took a local with them, didn't they? Oh, yeah. They they thought, we don't have enough people here. Let's get somebody else along. So they took a local with them. And she said, hey, be forewarned, go up these hills and you will go crazy. I think that's why they took the psychiatrist, yeah. There were a couple of people who were up there making maps. Uh, with like a theodolite and stuff. <laughs> There's expedition leader. I, couldn't, I don't know why he was doing this. And his girlfriend was his girlfriend. I don't know, was that his girlfriend? I don't know. There was some other guy, and I think there might have been another girl. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> My first thought was, what they're heading up there to, you know, to harvest the dope that they've been growing. And then, as you say, they, they all sort of semi-introduce themselves very, very quickly uh, around a table. Uh, I was like saying, these are really annoying people. <laughs> and they all have little jobs. One's going to drive the all-terrain vehicle, which they don't call, they don't call it, they call it an Argo. Um, it doesn't carry anything. It's like, well, if you just need a vehicle to walk, <laughs> just walk up there. Like, if it was... If it was laden with their supplies, I'd understand, but it wasn't. It would have then, been surely sensible to have got a couple more of those things. Definitely. Or, or maybe, you know, one for everybody, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, but no, there's like one of them and then uh, 20 people. So my next thought was, no, they're not growing dope. It must be Attack of the Killer Munchkins. But no Munchkins, never mind harm, no Munchkins ever appeared in this movie. And then we get to focus on what they're going to do and who's got what jobs. And of course, I focused on the psychiatrist because kind of what he did was more interesting than the rest of them. Uh, and he says, right, I'm going to make sure that people aren't going to go crazy when we go up this yellow brick road. Uh, and for example, I'm going to ask them to say the alphabet backwards. And then, <laughs> and then we get three minutes of somebody saying the alphabet backwards. <laughs> yeah. Z-Y-X-B-W. Which is interesting. I, I, it reminded me of backwards spelling B races, which is a big thing in America now. 11-year-olds, you know, spelling... Excelsius, not forwards, but backwards, which is an amazing achievement. And but pointless, surely. Pointless, but good for your brain, like learning gymnastics. I, I can say the alphabet brain. backwards very quickly. Would you like to Go hear on, it, Richard? Yes, please. ZYXWV, UTSRQP, ONM, LKJ, IHGFEDCPA. Wow. Is that a world record? I don't know about a world record. Pretty darn fast. Do you think? It is, it is fast. I'm actually impressed. Oh, I used to be able to do it. But I could only get up to, like, W now. I think it's entered a muscle memory level for me, so it no longer involves conscious decision. Yeah, what do you think the psychiatrist was, would have concluded about you? Well, I don't know, that? because he was a very cunning man. Backwards alphabet was not his only test. He was a sophisticated man indeed. He had other tests, but I forgot what they were. He did. He, he kept giving a... No, I can't remember what they were. I did, what I did notice is he didn't really give the same test to no, different people. I remember it. Yeah, he was very cunning. They couldn't share answers because he had different tests for everybody. One of them was like, okay, the colour red, what smell does it make you think of? 
She said, it makes me think of cherries. She said, is that a problem? He said, no, that just proves you're still sane. So... <laughs> Which is not true, by the way. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of nutty to associate colour red with cherries anyway. But but beyond and beside that, yeah, he, he was a man with many tricks up his sleeve, which you don't want to... Yeah, I mean, as a psychiatrist, you don't want people to view him that way, do you? You don't want them to view as Mr. Cunning because they're going no, to murder want, you, you want them to when things you. go cunning, yeah. when th- Sorry, when things go... When things run amok and... A hue up the mountain. You'll be the we, first against the wall. You'll be the first to go, you know. You'll be yeah. the, the guy that nobody trusts. But he doesn't get it immediately uh, when the deaths start occurring. Well, hold on. But there hold we go. on. Are, are we supposed to have established early on that the townsfolk don't like them for some reason? Well, yeah. Look, this information about what happened to this town has been classified for a long time. And they've only just recently decided to declassify that the event occurred. Now, they That's arrive right. in the town. The very beginning of this film. Is like a free is a guy getting a freedom of information request, but docket from some kind of kiosk. He's like, well, I've asked for a long time about this, and the other guy's like, yeah, well, we weren't going to tell you, but we have to tell you now. It's not the free. It's not actually a government agency. He's got the freedom of information before. He's now come to the cinema in the town, which is what the what you imagine the you know the the office to be. Uh, it's actually the cinema that they get told where the actual trail is. But the way they find the cinema, the Rialto, is they've got GPS coordinates. <laughs> which is weird, because <sighs> in 1940, how would the residents have known what GPS coordinates were? Ah, that's it. See, so the Freedom of Information releases the starting point of the trail, which is but the But where cinema. did those starting points come from? Where, how were the coordinates first recorded? So accurate. Because well, I mean, longitude and latitude existed before before yeah, GPS. Yeah, but in, the, in 1940, Paul, there were no such thing as smartphones. So, oh, are you trying to tell me that they all had one of those Garmin hiking devices that would tell them <laughs> their latitude and longitude? No, they probably had Ordnance Survey Map or its American equivalent. Because I'll tell you something else. There were no satellites in 1940. Yeah, but we still knew latitude and longitude. And yeah, we but you would have no, no mechanism to find out what it was, would you? Yeah, like, you look on the Ordnance Survey map and it says 56.2 this part of town, 56.3 that part of town. How far is the cinema between one and the other? Three-tenths, therefore it's 56.23. I'm going to blow your mind now. Yeah. The only country in the world that has Ordnance Survey is this country. I know, I said, or it's American equivalent. Oh, right, okay, okay, fair enough. And but then I moved back to Ordnance Survey, having defined or its equivalent. And you're I think, assuming I think, anyway. my, I think my response was legitimate and full in its <laughs> exposition of, of referent terms, Richard. You're assuming anyway that these maps that the Americans produce have got <laughs> latitude and longitude printed printed on them. <laughs> is that is that is that just for us that invented Greenwich Mean Time? Well, it wouldn't be very useful, would it? For, particularly for a village map, it wouldn't be very useful to have your latitude and longitude. Are you suggesting some ethnogenetic supremacy of of, of Orienteering to the British, or no? Well, we have we did dis- uh, we did get around the Cape Horn first, didn't we? And OS good map has has got its own grid reference system, doesn't it? Anyway, they all go to the cinema. They go in. Most of them think it's a waste of time and a dumb idea. One of them goes in, has a chat with somebody, and for some reason they oh, that's when they pick up the girl, isn't it? Who says she'll take them up the trail? Says, well, do be careful. People go mad up there. I think the movie wants to build a simmering sense 
of foreboding, tension, doom, and dread. American Werewolf in London, that kind of thing. Like, it's simmering, but nothing really happens for some time. Again, it it seemed like we're supposed to have established that for some reason the residents of this place are hostile to... We don't want you here. But I don't... It's never really explained why. Anyway, so they start yomping up the hill. At some point during this journey, they start hearing music, don't they? Mm-hmm. Just in the environment, 1930s, 40s style music. So it's like. eerie and echoey phonograph music, and they discover an old hat uh, that somebody nearly pees on. It's like, oh god, that's the hat of the people that came up here on the trail. And oh, the then the, mu- the music, the surrounding eerie music, kind of builds, doesn't it? In a, a quite effective way, I think. Whether the sound engineer was here. You know, or the the effects guy, the sound effects guy, did a good job in building that. It is quite intrusive and gets quite annoying. I, I I don't think we need to be annoyed by it to understand that they were annoyed by it, but we are annoyed by it. And it kind of begins to be distorted, and we kind of get like the radio fuzz, kind of white noise interference patterns, and wibbly wobbly spaceship noises coming in, and and then sonic booms and sonic flashes and sonic zaps and sonic bangs start happening. After, I think, the first critical, really critical juncture in the plot, which is somebody gets killed. This is 42 minutes in when somebody dies. Fortunately, there are still like 18 of them left to carry on with the mission. So it's not a disaster, is it? I mean, they even had two people doing the cartography. It was one of the (laughs) surveyors, wasn't it? In fact, it was her boyfriend, I think. Yeah. The one who found the fucking hat. That became such a focus of ah, tedious the hat, focus the of the storyline. So behave <laughs> if where the scarecrow's hat. Yeah, uh, Daryl, I think his name was not Darren, but Daryl. He kind of rips her to pieces. I don't know how yeah, he dismembers. Probably. Well, he pulls yeah. her leg off with a rock, doesn't he? With a rock, with superhuman strength, would imagine. Pulled her leg off and then ran off into the woods. Because yeah. my friend, she, she did that trampolining thing where people oh, jump on the trampoline as you're coming oh down. Oh, my and, God. And then she, you know, she went up 30 feet in the air. And then she landed. 30 feet? Uh, well, yeah, cause, yeah, because people are jumping down on the trampoline as you come down. So you get that, that double thing. Have you okay. not seen that YouTube thing where people jump into the water with a ball? Put the ball in the vacuum yeah, okay. that your body creates, and boom, it goes. It's like that kind of principle, yeah. Okay. Or, or is it dropping a ping pong ball on top of a tennis ball on the floor? Boom, the ping pong ball goes up high. That kind of principle, and and so it was, and 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 it was to land on one leg, which she can do normally, but it kind of went a bit wrong, and she timed it wrong, so her leg was still straight when she came down, and of course she shattered her knee entirely. Oh. But, but it wasn't. It didn't. It wasn't hanging off. No, it seems. Highly unlikely you'd be able to pull someone's leg off with a rock. So he, kind of, he kind of pulls the leg off and waves it in the air, and people there on the other side of the valley looking aghast through binoculars at what's going on because he's dragged her off to do this. What but do you think the psychiatrist was thinking at this point? I was thinking, mm, I've got some uh, consultation fees coming if Elio gets home and needs therapy. <laughs> he was probably thinking, I wonder if she can recite the alphabet backwards. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so Daryl has just ripped his wife or f- girlfriend to pieces, yeah? Or sister, I think it is, yeah? And they catch him, don't they? They run after him or something, they tie him up. There's some argy-bargy going on, but they tie him up and then they lead him on. They carry on going, more of this weird music is happening. 
at some stage, as they're driving along, they come across a blockade in the road, don't they? All this wood is piled up. Yeah. These twigs and stuff. And I branches. wish I'd noticed that, but I think I stopped paying that much attention to the movie at this point. <laughs> and her body has been placed, like, on it in ah. a sort of ceremonial way. But he's still running free, isn't he, Mr. Daryl Crazy? No. What's happened is they tied him up at that point. Oh, he's given himself up. He's kind of appeared over the hill, bloody, bloody-minded and bloody-headed. A really loud noise occurred, and I think they were all kind of stunned by it. And whilst they were all kind of holding their ears, he jumps on the Argo and drives off. So he's given himself up, bloody-minded and bloody-faced. He said, look, you need to tie me up because I'm a danger. And they've all said, look, we've all been there. All of us wanted to murder her. It's okay, you did it. Uh, possibly lying to him, but he believes them and lets him tie him up. And then he escapes, having let himself be t- been tied up. I-, I don't really get that, Richard. But anyway, there we go. Confused guy, I guess. I mean, just and killed his sister. The party like splits up. So I think the expedition leader did he? I think he climbed up the wooden thing and maybe carried on. Yeah. So uh, this is after the big sound wave. Yeah. Yeah. There's a huge. It builds to a crescendo of sound. And previously, I said the sound was you know eerie and effective and building slowly. At this point, it just builds to full annoying. And essentially, it's just somebody wiggling the volume up on an old-fashioned stereo system. Boom! That's the big sound thing, and they all collapse. Woo-hoo, we're all confused. We don't know what's going on. And what happens when they wake up? Somebody decides, "Hey, we've got to press on." Other people decide, "No, we've got to go back." Mm. That's basically right. Yeah. Yeah. One little team, I think there might be three of them. I think the maybe the intern and two of the others wandering along. Maybe the is that psychiatrist one of the one of the women in the team, and the intern she steals a bag of lollipops that that woman had as like a treat for them. But now they're all running out of food because Daryl had run off in the Argo with all the food on. Presumably that's what they used. Ah, there was food on the Argo, and she like eats all the chopper chops. In the lollipop bag. <laughs> but she's so guilty about it that at some point when they're walking along, she just sees a cliff and just walks off the cliff. <laughs> and the other two barely notice. I don't think they realise. Or they probably agree with her for stealing the chopper chops. And then there's the other two. There's the kind of jock guy. And I think his girlfriend, I'm not sure. They wind up eating some berries, don't they? Which I think yes. early on... hallucinogenic berries. Were they belladonna? Was it belladonna that they mentioned? I don't know, but they start tripping their nuts off. They do. They they get all freaky-deaky, don't they? I was a bit uncertain about this. If they're psychoactive, I guess that could have that effect. But, I mean, generally, you eat poisonous plants, you're just going to get sick and... Get yeah, are these apparently psychoactive and poisonous at the same time. Although if they're, if they're poisonous, you presume they're slightly emetic also, so why people don't throw them back up again, I don't know. This brings me, Paul, have you ever heard of the story? This isn't very funny either, by the way. Have you ever heard of the story, mind you what stops us normally, have you ever heard of the story of Chris McCandless? No, but I'm intrigued to find out. Do tell. We're going to go back here to the early 90s. Yeah. A man, a young man in his early 20s, mid-20s kind of thing, Chris McCandless. He sets off to go... To the Alaskan wilderness. Or on his own? On his own, yeah. He, he hitchhikes there. And we know, we know that he was hitchhiking there because they've obviously spoken to the guy who gave him a lift. And he must have given him a sense of what he was doing. What's this guy's name? Chris? McCandless. Chris McCandless. Now, I presume he was doing this to 
you know, centre himself, find himself, or, you know, to achieve something. I'm not sure. He had a motivation. It seems scatterbrained and crazy to me, but then, you know, it's not my kind of thing. But he goes to the Alaskan wilderness, he hikes into a national park, and he goes to just live off the land. And his plan was to do this for a while and then go back, I think. And he's not totally unprepared. He does kind of know what he's doing. When he first arrived, it was winter. He finds an abandoned bus. So he's, go, he's going to croft. He's going he's gonna to go crofting on ice, essentially. Yeah. He finds an abandoned school bus. Local trappers and stuff, and, and you know, use this abandoned school bus as a kind of landmark. I see. It serves as shelter for him. You know, he can go in it and use it. It's still got, it's still got windows. It's sort of intact inside. He is completely alone out here, and when he first arrived, it's Whoa, winter time. brave, weird. Uh, it, when he first arrives, he's snowed in. He is completely snowed in, and for a, a period of time, he's getting very malnourished. He's only got dry noodles. We know he's got like a kilo of rice with him or something that he takes. That's not a lot. And it's not very nutritional, is it? It's just and he has to suck calories. it to wet it and soften it. But when the snow melts, and we know, by the way, we know what Chris McCandless was doing because he kept a diary. He also Whoa. had a camera with him and he took pictures. Oh my gosh. When the snows melted, he started hunting small game. He survived the winter. He was only, it was only the tail end of winter. I see. So okay. he was there for two or three months, I think. Metabolism slows down anyway, doesn't it, in cold weather? He certainly lost weight. You know, you can see in his sure. pictures. That he's There's a lot of weight. muscle your body can eat before yeah. it starts eating your heart. Yeah, yeah. But he's eating. Uh, he is hunting for small game initially, and he's also foraging for vegetables and stuff. Interestingly, you know, once your body starts eating its heart because there's no other muscle left, it does leave it to last quite cleverly. Uh, <laughs> but your heart can't regenerate muscle, so you're gone once your heart starts being eaten. Chrisley, mm. Chris McCandless is. Not uh, completely naive. He's done his homework. He's read the books about survival. And he knows, for instance, there's a particular plant called the wild potato. Can which... he can he get back to where he started at this point? Or is he stuck there? That's he can leave point. at any time, yeah. After about two months, yeah. it seems, according to his diary and stuff, he was getting a bit sick of it. And he thought he'd had <laughs> enough and he was going to go back. And he made he retraced his Note steps. to self, do not become a crofter in Scotland. He retraced his steps, trying to get back to where he entered the park. Yeah. By oh, the no. way, and this does... This is like Hansel and Gretel, isn't it? Don't we, don't we tell children these stories so they don't do this when they're adults? Well, yeah, I should do. Listen, uh, this cuts across, by the way, my suggestion that he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't have a map or a compass. Oh, Christ. But nonetheless, he navigates back the way he came. Only the, the problem sun. is... The problem is, he reaches a river which on his way in had been Didn't frozen exist. solid. I can tell and you a now, very similar story. And now in, in the spring when it's thawing and stuff, is a raging torrent he cannot cross. I see. So he's a bit dejected. He goes back to the bus. We know that now he's getting a bit desperate, actually. And he's got to wait till November, basically, to cross back. He's got all of these... Well, actually, you know what's going to happen is hunters of stuff. People are going to start coming into the park and using it, and someone will find him. And yeah. He, if he had a map or known a bit more or been a bit more exploratory, he would have found that about a mile upriver from him, there was like a hand winch thing that let you cross the river. I see. But he didn't see it. Now, 
According it might have been his state of mind was already, you know, food lagged, uh, exhausted, uh, depressed, and you know, he he if uh, seeing the torrent, he just felt exasperation and despair and went to sulk in his bus cabin for a few days and made the situation worse. Potentially, it's understandable. He's definitely suffering from calorific uh, def- deficit. No question of mm. that. One of the things that he's eating is this stuff, as I mentioned, called wild potato. And the books say, the survival books say, that it's safe to eat. It's not toxic. Wow. But I was reading, I, I learned all of this by reading a New Yorker article where there's a controversy about what happened to Chris McCandless. It won't surprise you to learn that hunters or trappers came to the bus you know, in August of that year and they found a note on the door of the bus that wow. explained, you know, Chris McCandless, uh, I'm here, I'm trying to get out, I'm desperate, suffering low on food, I will be back, I've gone out to forage, you know, please help me, kind of thing. Whoa. When they went in the bus, they found Chris McCandless already dead in his sleeping bag in the bus. And when they examined his diary, his one of his last entries blamed the wild potato seeds he'd been eating. And he'd gathered bags of these seeds, you know, he'd been, he'd, he had a lot of them. It blamed the wild potato seeds he'd been for making him weak and poisoning him. Wow. This was controversial. People, investigators, figuring out what happened to him. They realised he'd got plenty of these seeds, so he could obviously find plenty of this food. It wasn't considered toxic, so it didn't seem like a ready explanation for his for his death. Obviously, he was malnourished, but then, you know, there were bags of these seeds around. So the New Yorker article traced a bit of an investigation around this, which has happened over several years. And as I say, it was a controversial topic. He ended up uh, sending the seeds to like um, a a chemist, a biochemist, who analysed them. He assumed that the wild potato would be containing alkaloids. I think potatoes, potato family plants do contain alkaloids. They do, yeah. He was assuming they would contain a sufficient number of amount of alkaloids that it could have poisoned him. Didn't find any evidence of that. But when they sent the seeds to a more sensitive sort of gas chromatograph analysis technique, they found something else, an amino acid, which has got a very long name. I think it's, uh, um, they call it ODAP, O-D-A-P for short. Wow. And this is known to cause a condition called latharism, which is a kind of paralysis. Now, I won't tell you how they know so much about this. Suffice it to say, I think it was Nazi experimentation. I see. Where they gave uh, prisoners foods made of this. What we do know is that this amino acid affects only certain people at certain times. It's particularly effective against young men. Wow. And if they're suffering from stress, and particularly if they're malnourished. Wow. What it does is it attacks the nerves particularly the nerves in the long muscles like the legs. And McCandless was saying that he couldn't walk in his diary, so he's finding it difficult to walk, which is classic latherism. Basically, although he found a way to survive in the wilderness, he was eating these wild potato seeds. He got into calorific deficit. As he started eating more and more of these seeds, he was less and less able to go hunt for other food. And of course, ultimately, this would have just paralysed him. Which is Whoa. chilling and horrible. But, you know, there you go. You shouldn't go just eating random plants. Anyway, so I have a similar story that happened to me uh, in that uh, I went to the southwest of China 
beautiful place, uh, Sichuan Banan, uh, Dali, uh, or Shangri-La, as we know it in the, in the West. But it's right on the border with Burma, or as we call it these days, Myanmar. And we wanted to he- we wanted to do the thing, which was to cross over from China into Burma without a passport through the rainforest, which we did. And the great thing was, I mean, there were three British people and two Chinese people. We headed out there, you know, with our backpacks. And, and the great thing was, uh, one of the English girls, her boyfriend, was a tour guide. Uh, he was actually from Shanghai, newly arrived in the southwest of China, and had been doing the tours for the season, basically. And said, don't worry, we'll do it free of charge, and we'll sneak in, and we'll go across there, and yeah, blah, 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 we'll do all that. And it'd be exciting and a very stand-by-me kind of thing for people that should have grown up but yet haven't. And so we did that. <laughs> and, you know, we all took our 12 litres of water because you sweat a lot and you drink a lot. It's, I mean, it's excruciatingly hot. It's almost at bowl temperature down there. Just for a day, we were back during the day. Or was it two days? I can't remember. But in any case, uh, there, was a, there was a waypoint where we could load up with more water and get another big tank on our backs and carry on, which we did. So I think it was two nights in total that we were planning to stay. Anyway, so we slept overnight. There was rain clouds and, you know, some heavy rain. And then uh, it was the uh, journey that he'd been doing two weeks previously, just before the rainy season started. So he knew he knew the path very well. Of course, you know, in the rainy season, uh, suddenly uh, 300 foot wide rivers appear where they previously <laughs> didn't exist. And that's what we faced on our way back. Shit. So he was like, oh, by the way, the way back to civilization is probably, you know, three or four miles. There is no way forward. The other way is, you know, 150 miles of dense jungle <laughs> before <laughs> we're likely to hit to hit anything like civilization. So, so, so we decided to head the other way, uh, away from the river, and just hope that somehow luck struck us he had no map of these areas and he certainly hadn't explored these areas before Uh, people started drooping pretty quickly i think we drank all our water by the end of that day Uh, by the next day we hadn't really drunk for about eight hours (laughs) the first person in our party either through physical exhaustion or or mental exasperation said you know give up i I give up i'm just gonna lie down here and die (laughs) you (laughs) you all continue Somehow, we managed to make her continue whilst, you know, huge leeches were sucking her legs and, you know, her <laughs> backpack was ripping into her skin. And the sweat obviously just ruins your skin anyway, but backpacks and sweat and, and, and shirts, just it's just horrendous. And so, you know, we, we carried on tramping and then, you know, she went down again. Somebody else went down, fainting this time and... Yeah, we were looking at death essentially, uh, and uh, I think we'd all pretty much prepared ourselves to die. So he was very apologetic, really, for the reason <laughs> to death, and uh, you know, for, you know, for a professional tour guide, you'd, I think you'd have to apologise for doing that. And then, as luck would have it, uh, we just carry on walking, stumbling, literally, you know, a quarter or half a mile an hour, uh, exhausted, you know, dehydrated, just completely confused. Little, no, no sense of time, really. The, the the jungle cleared for a moment, and there's a little kind of a little McDonald's. village. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, before that point, we had tried to do the thing, the bear gorillas thing, and drink the water of the forest. Uh, and you'd think having a qualified a qualified guy would allow us to do that, but no, he wasn't qualified in those kind of uh, 
quite basic survival techniques. Uh, well, I mean, we managed to get drips off leaves and that kind of thing, but characteristically, it stopped raining, and the water doesn't really <laughs> hang around on leaves for that long unless it's raining. So, but we got drips and whatnot, uh, but we didn't know which trees to cut into to, you know, drink the dewy sap of. And neither did he. But in any case, we were saved because we walked into this clearing and it it had a few village huts of a traditional, I don't know what, which minority it was, the Thai minority, or I can't remember exactly. I should know the Bai minority. Uh, and there was an old lady, you know, of typically wise in features. The one thing I remember, she was smoking a cigarette and uh, it was self-rolled. And she took one look at us and started inhaling. And she only finished inhaling once she'd finished the entire cigarette. She just smoked it down <laughs> in one gulp. And uh, we kind of saw it and said, oh, God, help us, you know, blah, 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 in Chinese and English. And uh, she gave us some bananas, uh, which we didn't really want. We wanted water. And then we got the water uh, and we didn't die. So it, it is true, you know, if, if in Arctic areas where there's melt or in, or in subtropical or tropical areas where there's heavy rainfall, the topography can... Uh, can present itself very differently in different parts of the year. So do be careful out there, guys. Well, the message here is don't eat plants. You don't know what they are. Although they seem to quite like the, uh, the Belladonna. I bet they do, yeah. So how did they die? They ended up dying, didn't they? I think he tried to kill her and she killed him. Killed him. Uh, and then something bad happened to And her then as well. other people kill each other. The poor psychiatrist gets it, but I, you know, we knew he had it coming. So, because babies are born with a built-in evolutionary safety mechanism for plants, as we learnt on the evolutionary psychology talk uh, in the Skeptics in the Pub event. Babies are afraid of plants. Oh, yeah. If you look on YouTube for trying to put babies on grass, like newborn babies, you know, young babies. They don't like it. They won't put their feet on grass. And wow. indeed, they're basically afraid of plants. And babies take their cue from their adults. So Wow. So they only eat or desire to eat that which they have been fed. With plants, yeah. Obviously, babies explore the world with their mouths, you know. If you give them yeah. a fire truck or a pebble or any other kind of object, straight in the mouth. But plants, uh-oh. No. They don't touch them and they won't go near them unless... Their parents encourage them to do so. That's so it's slowly. not because Brussels sprouts taste crap. <laughs> no. Well, you know, strawberries taste nice, don't they? They do. But who would think to eat one? They look weird. They look like a swollen organ, don't they? They look like some sort of incipient alien pod invasion, don't they? Uh, Paul, what was the point of this movie? Did we get to the end? Everybody dies, but somebody doesn't. I don't know. Some people die. One guy ends up back at the cinema. Don't know why or how. I think he 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 was the guy who went pressed on and ends up in kind of a metaphorical cinema. I, I didn't understand it. Yeah, he ends up in a cinema of his mind of some sort. I I, I yeah. I mean, I I think I think they genuinely were trying to go for like American Werewolf in London that kind vibe and they forgot about it <laughs> there were also there was a glut of TV series where whole towns get closed off underneath a dome kind of thing oh yeah I mean Tales from the Loop is kind of the same idea isn't it you know uh, yeah under the dome one, under yeah the dome uh, and the British ones 
Village of the Damned, original one, yeah. So there was some of that also wasn't there. And then there was Pied Piper and some weird reference to the to the Olympic Road of Wizard of Oz, but more Pied Piper, I guess. And none of it fused. None of it went together. None of it... They didn't finish any of it. None of, none of it was pursued to its completion. So what you got was something very bitty that didn't carry any consistent emotional tone through through any major part of the movie. And so a, a big disappointment. I, I just don't... I don't know what it was trying to say because it wasn't trying to say anything or anything consistent or coherent. So if you had to score, say, the acting... No, I was hoping you were going to throw some light on, on what it was trying to say, Richard. Oh, I have no clue. Oh. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, so if I would score things, I don't know, because their cult-like behaviour made me think that our, you know, our scoring system is is becoming cult-like. This is how religions start, Richard, isn't it? Is it? What, by giving yeah. scores to popular movies? No, I, I, you know, I think... I think you know we 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 conflated and inflated and invented these scoring categories on the turn of a sixpence. We did. It just I, we pulled and now it out somehow of our ass, we we invested them with 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 a meaning that they don't necessarily have. Not that I'm asking for any change. No, I think you know just self awareness. That's all you say. But yeah, this movie prompted me to think. Well, you know, if we're all going to wander off following a trail possibly has no reason to be followed, should we just be scoring along the lines that we're scoring? Well, yes, we're going to continue scoring along the lines that we're scoring. So if for acting, I think acting was possibly the strongest element of this movie, and yet it wasn't very convincing. So I'm going to give the acting a four, if that's okay with everybody. No, absolutely, I agree. Particularly unconvincing bits, like stuff around the lollipops, and yeah, eating the belladonna and jumping off the cliff, and... I think when he killed his killed his his sister girlfriend thing, that was relatively scary and convincing. It was his sister, Daryl's sister, yeah. Daryl's sister, unexpected. So there was a little bit of the acting worked with the plotting in that. I really didn't see that coming, and it was no. Oh, well, how can he see it coming? She just got angry at him wearing a hat, and then he went off on one and killed he her, pulled the leg off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll give it a five for the acting. Five, it's about yeah. average. Yeah. What about the fear factor, jump scares, etc.? Originally, you know, when the sound started happening, bit creepy. That yeah, it was. It, it kind of worked for ten or fifteen minutes, and then my question was, "What? Well, how are they going to go with this?" And they just made the sounds a bit louder and a bit more. <laughs> and it's like, well, we get the idea. We don't need that all the time. We got it all the time, you know. And so that really was a fun sponge for watching the movie. You know, it kind of took out any enjoyment because there's just these piercing sounds happening all the time and they're not very scary at that point you see because they're just continuous and disorienting and it never scary paid moment. off we didn't we don't understand why we're hearing these sounds that didn't make no any sense. that's we never get an exposition or, or a hint even his scary psychic psychotic moment was great i thought that was scary and then when he kind of reappeared you know behind the behind the trunks of trees i think he was daubed up in some sort of paint a little bit scary but I mean, we're expecting. I mean, obviously, something supernatural was happening there or in their minds, and we never saw that. So none of that was scary. I'm going to go three just for his psychotic moments. Mm. The eeriness of parts of this film, I think, no, a four, a four. Sorry, a bit more recognition. Yeah, I'm going to give it a six for okay I think eeriness. That's fair. But yeah, it wasn't. It certainly wasn't a jump scary movie. 
No. And we didn't really see anything terribly supernatural or weird. It was all just a bit odd. We'll talk about special effects. <laughs> I've said before, you know, props to props to deciding to shoot this entirely in, in the heath, somewhere up a hill. Uh, it saves a lot in your budget. But at some point, you know, people talking about what's going to happen while standing in front of a hedgerow doesn't really uh, equate to... (laughs) Whilst there's weird noises being played, presumably from, you know, from a tannoy, doesn't really convert to what you might call special effects. So, uh, and I I think we really needed some lights in the sky, some ghostly apparitions. Uh, We need to view some sort of presence from the past, and we didn't see that. So a two from me for that aspect. Oh, wow. I'll give it a four. Mm -hmm. I mean... You know, there was some gore when they pulled the leg off and stuff. Maybe not really realistic, but <laughs> it was you know. just a pork chop for the butchers. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's talk about plot and script and all that yeah. stuff. Dialogue. I think of the three, maybe dialogue was the only thing that kind of came together, but still not in a way that gave each individual character distinct and meaningful personalities. <laughs> you got the feeling that the dialogue was just one person writing a script in in speak form. Was there any character that you were rooting for that you empathised with? I understood the psychiatrist. Oh. I didn't... I mean, I kind of wanted him to get killed. <laughs> Not usually seen as a, a ringing endorsement, is it? <laughs> Anybody else... I have to say, no, there was nobody else in the movie that I rooted for or for any particular... I thought the girl who lost her leg was quite sympathetic because her brother did keep wearing that freaking hat and she had had enough of that. I could see where she was coming from. But that was the closest they came to verisimilitude for me. So for script, I'll give it a three. I'm going to say... A three, because it ultimately went nowhere. Nothing was resolved. Nothing was further prompted us for us to question. So it went neither one way nor t'other. Uh, and, and, and yet, in itself, nothing became clear. So if you want to be confused by something that is aiming to portray very disorientating circumstances of an uncertain nature, then this is a movie for you. But, I mean, I... I yeah, it has to be a three because it really didn't make any sense as a plot, did it? So in giving it an overall score, I just want to remind you of the excitement that we felt when we read the description of this film <laughs> as a town disappearing up a hillside. <laughs> so I'm going to give it a three overall. Wow. I, I, let me confirm, I've given it a three also independently. Look at that. I've written that down. Yep. And uh, yeah, it's a three from me, which is one of my lowest scores so far, I think. Yeah, I wonder if that's totally fair. It is totally fair, yeah. It was an unpleasant yeah. movie to watch, really. I didn't enjoy I mean, it. I can experience. see how other people might enjoy it. So I, I, I wouldn't say, if you like, look at it, don't forswear it on the basis of two low scores. But at the same time, I think three is a fair score because, well, I just felt there wasn't no plums in the pudding, you know, I mean. It was mostly suet. Paul, let's do better next week then. Well, let's try. Uh, I I do have two suggestions. Oh, okay. Fire away. Can you guess what one of them might be? 
It doesn't begin with M. Is one of them Alice's other suggestion of They Remain? I think it's called It they is, remain. yes. How did you guess that? So thank you, thank you for that suggestion, Alistair. They Remain. And the other suggestion I'm going to put forward is beginning with M, and that is Mandy. Ah, now, that's a Nicolas Cage film. It is, starring the erstwhile Nicolas Cage. And it's a while since we've seen a Nicolas Cage film. It I'm wondering is. whether Whoa. his energetic performance is the antidote for Yellow Brick Road. Are you saying that your chops are beginning to salivate with the anticipation of chewing no, that's going too far. a tasty morsel of Nicolas Cage? I, what I'm saying is I, I'm seeing a rattlesnake tail in this box. Let's just pull it out and see what happens. Yeah, I think he might even be wearing a rattlesnake jacket as he's wanted <laughs> to. So that is Mandy. I think that's 2018, Mandy. isn't it, that film? Two joyous. For Mandy and Nicolas Cage, the wonder that is Nicolas Cage, next time. Before that, Richard, do we have anything to say for our esteemed listeners? Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> Unless, no, of course, well, I mean, I'm seeing well, on your video I'm, there. <laughs> Don't look behind the curtain. I, 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 Unless, of course, you know he's behind that and you can't see his feet. <laughs> In which case, I would pay attention because he's, he's some sort of yogic flyer. <laughs> Until next time, then. Until... Bye.